welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, even as we've already enjoyed uh, Pastor Josh calling us into your presence to worship you, and as we've enjoyed your presence already, Lord, um, it brings to mind that we are sinners. We realize when we stand in the presence of your holiness that we are sinners, and so we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for our sins. We come in the bold assurance that Jesus has paid the debt, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for his sake. Lord, we pray that even during this worship service, you would give us more and more repentant hearts that love the things you love and desire the things you promise. Lord, we want your delights to be our delights. And so even as we're in the word, Lord, today, we pray that you would search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. See if there is any way in us that grieves you and lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, that's something your spirit does as we're in this series on the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that there would be a great revival starting in our own hearts. Um, So many of us can easily become hardened by sin. We can become insensitive to your spirit. We can grieve your spirit. We can um, quench your spirit. We can resist your spirit. And Lord, we pray that you give us repentant hearts, that we would desire to seek him, um, to know him, to, uh, to be in the presence, in your presence through the Spirit, Lord. We pray that we would see great revival in ourselves and in our community and in the churches in the area. We pray specifically for Grace Bible Church that meets over at MSJC and for uh, the View Church meeting in Sun City and uh, for revival off of Scott Road, Lord. We um, pray for um, Scott and uh, Danny and Daniel, the elders over at um, Faith Bible Church Menifee, Uh, We pray for Center Church and their pastor Thor over there, and we just pray, Lord, that you would stir within all your people in this little city, Lord. We pray that you would stir all of your people to be evangelistic witnesses for your glory, and that there would be great outpouring of your spirit on this place, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, just before Jesus left his disciples, he told them that it was actually better that he leave. And that would have been a shock to them. He says, better that I leave you, because if I leave you, then the Holy Spirit will come to you. And it can be kind of surprising to hear something like that. How could the Holy Spirit's presence in us be better than what they had, Jesus' presence beside them? And we're trying to tackle that question over seven weeks, leading right up to Pentecost Sunday. So Pentecost Sunday is in early June, so we got seven weeks, same seven weeks that they waited for the Spirit. We want to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and be seeking His presence. And so in this third message, I want to talk to you guys about how the Holy Spirit gives us a better experience of God's presence. So this morning, we're not talking about, um, you know, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. That'll be next week. We're not talking about power for ministry. We'll talk about that on Ascension Sunday. We're not talking about gifts of the Spirit. We'll talk about that on Pentecost Sunday. This morning, we're specifically looking at how the Holy Spirit gives us a deeper, better presence of God, an experience of the presence of God. Now, when I say the presence of God, you might say, well, God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. Why are you talking about how he gives us his presence? And that's true. He is present everywhere. But God makes himself more or less present in a felt way to bless us in different places with different people. And we all know that throughout our Christian lives. There have been some times where we felt great, intense presence of, of God, and other times where we felt 
an absence of God. His presence was the same, but his felt presence to bless was different. And so we're looking at this morning those subjective feelings of God's presence. And I know for some of you guys, you go like, I don't like the word subjective. I don't like the word feelings. But here's the deal, guys. Relationships are made up of subjective experiences and feelings. Okay? You don't have a completely objective relationship with your spouse or with your friend or with your kids, right? It is a subjective thing. And the objective word tells us that there's certain subjective experiences that we should expect and seek. And so we're going to look at those this morning. And guys, presence is a wonderful word. I mean, presence is the thing that we want the most from other people. You know, when you're going through suffering or whatever, you don't necessarily need somebody to come and tell you something eloquent and preach the word to you or anything like that. What do you need? just want to be there. just want to be present. That's the thing we love the most is, is to receive the presence from another person. But guys, wouldn't you say that especially in our day and age, we find it very difficult to be present for people, don't we? You know, like look around the restaurant when you're not looking at your phone. Just look around at how many people are just sitting there looking at their phones. Maybe they're on a date or something like that. Presence is something that we so desperately want and find it so desperately difficult to give to each other. And the very best presence of all is God's presence. You look at Psalm 1611. David says, you make known the path of life to me. In your presence is fullness of joy, speaking about God, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I just wonder this morning, how many of you think of God that way? You think that his presence is fullness of joy and that in his presence is pleasures. Do you think about that with God? Do you think God is the ultimate source of joy and pleasures? That's what David says. God made us in his image to be satisfied in his presence. We see that in Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image. And then he made male and female in his image. He made us, guys, with, with like pleasure receptors in our souls that are only stimulated by the presence of God. Your soul has pleasure receptors that can only be activated by the presence of God. The African bishop Augustine said in his confessions, You make us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. There's a, a, a receptors on your soul that will only be activated. There's a joy that you can only have from the presence of God. And actually, as you look at Scripture, the whole, um, the whole story of Scripture is bookended, isn't it, by the presence of God. In the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, you see people enjoying God's presence. And then what do you see in Revelation 22? People enjoying God's presence. It's the bookends of scripture itself. And the story of humanity's fall in Genesis 3 was really a story about the loss of God's presence. It wasn't so much paradise lost, it was presence lost. It was his presence that was lost, which is what makes things paradise. When they fell, when they turned to sin, they were taken out of God's presence. Genesis 3:23 says, "Therefore God sent them out of the garden of Eden and drove the man out." east of the garden and placed a cherubim with a flaming sword to keep him out. That's what sin does. Our sin drives us away from God's presence. God is holy, and the further we slide into sin, the further we walk away, further and further from God, further and further from the only lasting pleasures and the only solid joys. And then Adam and Eve's firstborn kid, same thing, right? Fell into sin, um, killed his brother, and it says in Genesis 4, 16, that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and went east. And then you see a bright spot, next chapter, where God's presence is sighted, meeting up with different people. And you see that especially with Enoch. Enoch, uh, in Genesis 5.24, says that Enoch walked with God. And then he was not, because God took him away. It was like one day, they were walking along, and God said, you want to get out of here? And he's like, sure. He's like, let's get out of here. 
right? He walked with God. That's Eden language, right? The presence of God. And God kept sharing his presence with people because he constantly is desiring to do that. He loves his people. He's seeking him. So he seeks Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then finally Moses, right? Moses meets the Lord in the burning bush. God tells him that he's going to take um, his people out of Egypt, um, gets him out of Egypt, and then God's presence is where next? Mount Sinai, right? And, but Mount Sinai's presence is something they can't approach, right? They can't come near the mountain. They can't touch it or they'll die. And then we see God's presence again in the tent of meeting. You know, Moses sets up this tent and he meets with God. And in Exodus 33, 7, it says this, so cool. It says, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, each standing at their door. So you see all this camp of people, and everybody's like, he's going. And they all get out and they're watching him. And they're watching Moses walk over to the tent of meeting. It says, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand on the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak to Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing on the tent where Moses is, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. And then Moses, that, in that way, Moses used to speak to the Lord face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And the presence of God, guys, is what defined Israel as a people. A little later in Exodus 33, God kind of hints that maybe he's not going to continue with them. And, and Moses says this, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Not interested in the promised land without you. Isn't that amazing? Tell him, all this is great. He goes, if you don't go, I don't want it. He says, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people the face of the earth? He's like, this is what makes us a people is that you're with us. You don't come with us. We're not interested in the land. We're not interested in milk, flowing with milk and honey. We're not interested in any kind of prosperity that doesn't include your presence. And I just ask you this morning, is that your heart cry? You know, would you, would you rather take all the goodies and know God? Piper gives this really, you know, incredible uh, question about heaven. He says, what if you go to heaven, you got all the people you ever loved are there, no pains or aches anymore, perfect body, perfect world, get to do all the activities you ever want to do, never have pain, sorrow, anything like that, but God isn't there. Do you want it? Could be convicting, couldn't it? Right? If you will not go with us, we don't want to go. His presence is the thing we want. And then from there, God gives them instructions to build a tabernacle so they can have the presence of God with them. And he won't destroy them. He keeps them in the tabernacle. And he's got the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim, with their wings. And above the mercy seat, God would appear there in the Holy of Holies where the sacrifice was offered. And then a little bit later, they settle. They build a temple, right? Solomon has the temple built. And, uh, and while the people couldn't go in the Holy of Holies, they did enjoy the temple. They could come to the temple and enjoy God's presence. And you see that throughout the Psalms. You see all this, like, love of the temple. What's that about? God's presence is there, dwelling among them. Psalm 27, uh, 4 says, One thing I've asked from the Lord that I would seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that's the temple, all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. They longed for the temple. They hated being away from it because that's where God's presence was. They were a nation defined by the presence of God. And then, sadly, like a replay of losing the garden, they sin against God over a period of time. And then in 587 BC, the, uh, the Babylonians come and destroy their temple. And then they're driven what? They're driven east. They lose the temple. They actually lose the ark. They'd lost it before to the Philistines, but they got it back. This time, they lost it for good. They have no ark. They have no mercy seat. They have no place of, this, uh, the, of the presence of God. And when they returned to rebuild, and they did rebuild, they rebuilt a second temple. It was never the same. 
You know, Ezekiel talks about how great that next temple is going to be, and it's going to be this beautiful thing, and then out of it's going to flow this water over all the earth and, and make everything right, right? The whole idea was that the temple, the presence of God was going to shoot out from the temple and change the whole world. Never happened. They build the temple, and it's what? Empty. Literally empty. Can you, Ichabod, right? It's empty. The, the glory of the Lord had departed from it. You, know, you guys realize on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go in there to offer the blood on the mercy seat, there was no mercy seat for hundreds of years. You go in, you're all, everybody's fired up, it's the Day of Atonement, go in there, and it's an empty room. The temple was empty, right? The presence of the Lord had departed, um, and, and, and sacrifices were being made to an empty room. And then in 70 AD, what happens? The temple is destroyed by the Romans, never to be rebuilt, and it couldn't be clearer, guys. Hope in the temple was over. And you think, like, Why? What happened? What's God doing? We read in the book of Hebrews that it's because the purposes of the temple have all been fulfilled in Jesus, right? The sacrifices, ultimate sacrifice made by Jesus, no longer needed. The priests, Jesus the ultimate high priest, no longer needed. As it being a place of the presence of God, the veil's been torn and God is out from the temple on the loose amongst his people. And so where is the presence of God after all this, after the temple's empty and all these things? And we look in John 1.1 and what do we see? We see the presence returning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, speaking of Jesus. And then in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word therefore dwelt among us is the Greek word tabernacled. So here God becomes a man and tabernacles amongst us. Now the presence of God is back, but not in a temple, but in a human being. And so you have this lost presence of God now wandering the earth outside the temple in Jesus' own body. And you might think, well, okay, this is the ultimate, right? This is the fulfillment of everything. But it isn't. It wasn't the ultimate. Because God had a plan, a fuller plan, to give you the presence of God. Fuller than having Jesus come in the flesh. Because Jesus came in the flesh for a mission, right? Came to die for your sins. Came to be raised. Came to remove the sin from us so we could be welcomed back into God's presence. And the other thing to, about Jesus being the presence of God on earth is his presence was physically limited. Have you noticed that in the Gospels? There's all these people that want to see Jesus, right? So there's lines and crowds, and, and Jesus had a real physical human body. He became a real man, God and man, right? And so he's tired. You ever notice that? You ever notice how often he's, like, hiding from people? You know, he's talking, everybody, and this guy is scoping out, oh, that looks desolate, you know, and he sneaks away, like, where is Jesus? They're always looking for him, right? He's either praying or he's taking a nap. I mean, he's exhausted, right? He's exhausted from being that physical presence of God. And so Jesus told his disciples on the night before the cross that he had something better for them. Take a look at John 1.15. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, talking about the Holy Spirit, and listen to what he says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be what? In you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever keeps my commandments and knows my commands and keeps them is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to them. And they're like, well, how's that going to happen? And he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him 
and make our home in him. Right? That's about the Holy Spirit. That's how the Holy Spirit is going to make God's presence known to us by being in us, bringing Jesus' and the Father's presence into us. Isn't that amazing? He's promising a new way. A new way in which he's not outside, with, beside, but in you. Jesus said he will not leave us as orphans. Right? And the Holy Spirit allows both the Father and the Son to make his home in us. And this is a better experience of God's presence than the disciples even had before Pentecost. Better experience. Direct experience, right? When thousands of people come to faith in Acts, right? What we needed was a direct access through the Holy Spirit to God, not a mediated presence through one human being. Can you imagine, like, 3,000 saved, then 2,000 saved, then 3,000 saved. Can you imagine the lines to see Jesus? Be unbelievable, right? Yet the Holy Spirit actually makes him present to each one of us. No crowds, no lines. And we have that too, guys. And so this morning, I want to talk about three ways that the Holy Spirit brings us the felt presence of God. And the three ways are, he, he makes us feel our adoption. That's going to be in Romans 8. He, he leads and convicts us. That's going to be in Galatians 5. And then he teaches and illuminates us, and that's going to be in 1 Corinthians 2. So we're going to look at those three. First one is the Spirit is God's presence to make us feel our adoption. Take a look at Romans 8, 15. So good. This is totally a passage to, like, burn into the back of your eyeballs, that it would be imprinted on your retina, okay? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One way the Spirit brings us the presence of God is by making us know and feel that we are sons and daughters of God. That's a ministry that we know, that we really need. Take a look at verse 16. He testifies, the Spirit testifies to us that the Father's adopted us. It says, he bears witness with our spirit. You say, well, how does that work? I don't know. This is a felt, experiential thing, right? That he testifies to our spirit that we're children of God. And then look at what else he does. He causes us to cry out in love to the Father. Do you see that in verse 15? You have received not the spirit of, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Let me ask you this. That cry, Abba, Father, whose cry is that? Who's it? Whose cry is Abba, Father? Who cries that out? Jesus, right? This is the cool thing about what the Holy Spirit's doing here. The Holy Spirit is actually in your heart causing you to cry out to the Father the way Jesus does. One step more than that. The cry that you have for the Father, that desire, that love that you have for the Father, is Jesus' desire for the Father. That the Spirit, who is, is one with Christ, brings Christ's love and affection for the Father into your heart so that the cry that you have is Jesus' cry. Isn't that amazing? It's wonderful, guys, because here's the thing. When you first became a Christian, you didn't start a whole new relationship with God as Father. You jumped into one that was ongoing. You actually got Jesus' relationship with the Father. You guys realize that? Your relationship with God as Father is Jesus' relationship because you're in Christ. And now you're able to respond to the Father the way the Son has always responded to the Father with full love and affection and desire, saying, Abba, Father. That's something the Spirit produces in your heart. The love that the Son has always from eternity past had for the Father is now something you're feeling because the Holy Spirit is putting Jesus' emotions for the Father in your heart. Whoa! That's good, okay? That's awesome. Another thing, 
is that he also assists us in another way. He also causes us to feel the Father's love for us. And it's the same love that the Father has always had for the Son. So just like you're having an affection for the Father that, that the Son has always had for the Father, now you're also feeling an affection that the Father's always had for the Son, and it's now directed towards you. Because the Holy Spirit is referred to as both, did you guys realize this, the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God. When he's referred to as the Spirit of God, the word God in the New Testament, unless otherwise said, is always the Father, right? It just says the word Lord in the New Testament is almost always Jesus, okay? But when it says Spirit of God, it's talking about the Spirit of the Father. So he's mediating the Father's presence to us by dwelling in us. And sometimes he's referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Sometimes you can tell which thing's coming from which person, which is kind of cool. This affection that we have for the Father is certainly the Holy Spirit is the one giving us that affection from Christ, um, sometimes you can tell that something's coming directly from the Father, from the context of the passage. Sometimes you can't tell. One God, three persons. You know, sometimes you can't tell which person the Trinity is from. But take a look at this. Romans 5.5 5 is a place where the Holy Spirit is actually giving us, showing us the Father's affection for us. He says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What's going on there? He's saying that the Father's love for you gets poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And when he talks about the love of God, he's talking about God's love for you, not your love for him. So there's this subjective experience of, and you guys have had it many times, where all of a sudden you feel the Father's profound love for you in a way you don't normally. It probably brings you to tears. It gives you strong emotions for, for him back. But you feel the Father's just incredible affection for you all of a sudden. You know, Because you know, sometimes when you're walking with the Lord, it's you know, with your Father, God, your father, it's like you're holding hands, a little child and dad holding hands, walking along. And every once in a while, you guys have had this experience, the father picks us up and carries us. And we experience this like profound, heightened sense of the father's love for us. And it's incredible. And you wish you could just stay there all the time. That's the Holy Spirit doing that, right? That's what's in Romans 5. He says that, the, that God's love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that love that you're receiving from the Father is the love that the Father's always had for the Son since eternity past. And the, and the Holy Spirit's allowing you to feel that. Um, I have a diagram, but I don't have a whiteboard. So my, my diagram looks something like this. You get the Father. You get the Son. You get the Father. He's loved the Son from eternity past. You know, one God, three persons, forever and eternity. Loving each other, the Father loving the Son. The Son uh, loving the Father back. And, and the Holy Spirit being a person that in the midst of this matrix of love between these three persons, you got the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does for us when he comes into us is he takes you and he puts you right in the middle of this exchange between the Father and the Son. So that you're feeling the Father's love for the Son hitting on you because you're in Christ. And then you're responding with a love for the Father that's not your own. It's coming from Jesus. You got like caught up in it. Isn't that amazing? It's just incredible. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. And guys, that's the gospel, guys. The gospel is the good news that if you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, you get a new relationship with God that is the relationship between the Father and the Son. The, the gospel is that though you've lived as enemies of God, you can now enjoy the love of God that, is on, that only the Son deserves, right? And this happened because all of God's wrath on the cross was poured out on Jesus so that now all of God's love that Jesus deserves is poured out on you. It's amazing. If you're in Christ, you are loved in a way by the Father that only the Son deserves to be loved. And the thing is, he'll never stop loving you because he'll never stop loving his Son. Right? You're here. 
You're right here. There's no way to stop this, right? This flow of love, it, it cannot be stopped. He'll never stop loving you because he never stops loving Jesus. He will never love you less because he never loves Jesus less, right? You can't interfere with this. They've been doing this for eternity, loving each other, right? This love is a love that he deserves. And it's the Holy Spirit's work, guys, to cause you to feel it, right? Because it's an objective reality happening all the time. But the Holy Spirit allows you to actually feel it, and then the Holy Spirit actually allows you to respond in love to the Father the way the Son always has. It's amazing, totally amazing. And this is an experience, guys, that the disciples did not have before Pentecost. It's an experience that we all can have now by the Holy Spirit, and it's something we should all seek. We have to seek this, guys. We have to seek this by daily reflection in the gospel, right? Daily reflecting the gospel, daily basking. Do you guys know the word bask? Okay, lizards bask, right? Lizards sit out on a fence in the sun, and they like stretch themselves out, and they get the heat. That's what you need to do. You're basking in the love of God, right? You're like that lizard, just basking. Maybe do some push-ups, right? Getting excited. Bask in it. And when you bask in the gospel, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I'm not just feeling this intellectually, like I'm feeling this like emotionally. That is the Holy Spirit in your life. That is his presence. That's what he does. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is God's presence to lead and convict us. Take a look at Galatians 5. And when I say take a look at it, I mean like literally take a look at it. And not literally in the figurative way people use literal. I mean like take a look at it. Galatians 5, 16 says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. Okay, the Spirit's presence leads us to, to love holiness and hate sin. This is something that the Holy Spirit does. It's the way he brings the presence of God to us. And so when you're tempted, when there's a particular sinful temptation you have, and you have this internal wrestling, it's really important, guys, that you think about that internal wrestling you have for sin. It's not good you versus bad you. I think a lot of times that's what we think it is. It's the good me and the bad me, fighting it out. Who will win, right? And I kind of owe equal loyalty to both of them, right? What is battling within us? Take a look. He says it's the desires of the flesh, that's one side, and so that's a spiritual principle of evil in you, that's a part of you that still desires sin even though you've been born again, it's a part that Jesus is going to surgically remove from you and stomp and throw in hell at the end, so you'll never have to deal with it again, which would be wonderful, that's at the resurrection, and then there's what, the desires of what, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, guys, that's where the battle is. That voice within you that's saying, you know, don't sin, don't fall into this, kind of trying to pull you away from it, right? That voice is not yours. That's God's voice. That's the Holy Spirit in you doing this. Guys, holiness is about responding moment by moment to a person's desires. It's the person, the Holy Spirit in you. When we ignore that voice that says, don't do it, don't do it, don't, we are ignoring God. The person, he's there. We ought to respect that voice, right? Um, and so we're not just, you know, reflecting on moral commands and trying to do the right thing. It's about listening to and being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually communicating his emotions, his desires, his wants for us in regard to sin and righteousness. He's actually communicating his desires into your mind, into your heart when he convicts you of sin. He's actually in there pleading with you, leading you, sharing his heart with you. And what I want to just say to us all, myself included, is we need to respect that voice. We do not respect that voice the way we think we should, or the way we should, because we think it's just us. It's the good me. I can ignore him today. No, 
It's the Holy Spirit. We don't ignore him, right? Because the Holy Spirit, guys, he can be quenched. He can be grieved. He can be resisted. And Hebrews says he can be outraged. Respect the voice. Respect the voice of God within you, calling you to holiness. Sometimes we say, you know, where's the presence of God? I don't feel his presence in my life. You know, why doesn't he speak to me like he seems to speak to other people or he did before? Guys, every time you feel a desire to follow God's word and be obedient to his word, that tugging against the flesh's desire, that's him. It's really important to realize that. Because you might think you're never led by the Spirit or he doesn't speak to you, he doesn't communicate to you. He's doing it every single minute of every day. You just didn't know it was him. He's constantly speaking to you. He's constantly communicating his desires, his longings. He's pleading. He's sharing his heart. We must respect his voice. A whole lot more than we respect the voice of what? The desires of the flesh. Guys, I mean, that's the other option. So it's not a battle, good you versus bad you. It's desires of the spirit, desires of the flesh. Which should we listen to? Which should we obey? Which do we owe loyalty to? Which one do we trust more? Because both are trying to sell something. Both are trying to say, come do this. This is the path of joy. This is the path of life. Come this way. Both of them are doing it. Which one should you trust more? You guys all want to be happy, right? Human beings are created to want to be happy. They want joy. That's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. Which one knows the way to joy? Right? The Spirit knows the way to joy, right? So we ought not to quench him or resist him or grieve him or even outrage him. And so when we are convicted by sin... That's him speaking. When we fall into sin, he goes from leading to convicting, right? He will not allow us to be happy in sin. You guys realize if you're a Christian, God has already ruined you for the world. Like, you could go try and do it again, and you will be miserable. Why? You're ruined for it. You found a better joy. You're like, well, this isn't near as good as God's presence, right? And the Holy Spirit tells is, is there to convict us and make us just feel awful about sin, right? That's what he does. He doesn't want us to be happy there, right? And when we talk about this idea of God convicting us, we also have to think about another thing, that, another bad feeling we can have, which is condemnation. Because the, the Spirit convicts us, makes us feel bad about sin, but there's another way we feel bad about sin, which is called conviction, uh, condemnation. And condemnation is another voice. It's not a voice from God. The condemnation is a voice of the, of the devil, right? He's called the accuser of the brethren for a reason. He accuses us in our own minds, he'll um, accuse us and condemn us. And I have a slide here. I think I have a slide here. that has uh, conviction versus condemnation. And it's a cool slide. I'll email this out of the email list um, so that you guys can have it. Um, but conviction is from God. It leads to life. It ends in joy. It makes us want to change. It leads us to our new identity in Christ. It brings specific awareness of specific sins that are actually in, in the Bible. Okay? It... Um, causes us to look to Jesus, and it's a blessing. Condemnation is from Satan. It leads to despair. It ends in sorrow. It makes us believe we can't change. You guys maybe have heard that voice, huh? Makes us believe we can't change. Leads to our old identity in sin. It brings a vague uncertainty about sin. It leads us to look at ourselves, and it's a burden. You guys had both of these happen in you? Very important in Christian maturity to learn to distinguish the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting us versus the voice of the accuser condemning us. Guys, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it is always an invitation. It's an invitation to come home, right? It's not stay away, it's come home. It's always come home. Conviction by the Holy Spirit always makes the father look like the father and the prodigal son. But as soon as we'll turn around, there's a robe, a ring, and a party waiting for us. Come back. Come back to joy. Return. The Father is, is 
longing for the return of his sons and daughters. And maybe some of you here have been wandering for quite some time, and, and conviction is saying return. It's saying what you're doing is wrong. It grieves me. Come home. I'll get you cleaned up. I'll get you restored. That's conviction of the Spirit. It causes us to mourn of our sin, but to mourn of it so we'll leave it, right? Not wallow in it, right? Now, condemnation's different. It doesn't give hope. It doesn't say come home. Condemnation says things from Satan. Sounds like, oh, you call yourself a Christian and do that? Some Christian you are. Why don't you just give up? You're not very good at this. You know? well, what are you even doing here in a gathering of Christians after what you've done? What if they knew what you were doing? You think you can just come in here? What makes you think you deserve to just open your Bible and pray? Why don't you get yourself worked out first and then come back when you're serious? You're such a fake. You guys heard that one? Maybe this week? Maybe this morning on the way to church? That's condemnation. It drives you further away from God. It's from the devil. It's from the accuser. Don't listen to him. One of Satan's truly evil tactics, and everything he does is evil, obviously, but one of his truly evil tactics is he'll, he'll tempt you into sin, and then when you do it, then he's the moralist. He's like, how could you do that against God? Like suddenly he plays both sides of the law, right? Take it, take it, take it. Oh, you took it, and then you rub your nose in it. That's what he does, right? And he does it so that he'll drive you farther and farther from the Lord. He loves to rub our nose in our sin, play in the moralist. The very sin that he tempted you into. Do not listen to his voice. Do not run from God, run to God. Um, Revelation 12 says that the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down out of heaven onto the earth. He's not allowed to go up and accuse you before heaven anymore. You know where he does it? Does it in your head now, right? Resist that. Don't believe that. Guys, listen to conviction. Do not listen to condemnation. Some of you guys, stay away. You'll fall into sin. You'll stay away from the Lord. You'll kind of keep your distance. Maybe give him a cooling off period. Kind of go over, do penance for a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months. Guys, you need to run home to the Father immediately. Returning immediately to the Father is not taking sin lightly. <laughs> it's taking conviction seriously. That's exactly what Adam should have done immediately. It's what his son Cain should have done immediately. Christian maturity doesn't look like sinlessness. It looks like running. At every sign of danger, every sign of fall, we run right back to the Father. Confess what we've done. There's a robe, a ring, and a party. Right? Every time. The Holy Spirit does one more thing that I want to talk about, which is leads and um, he also teaches us and illuminates our minds. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 2.10. Actually, turn there like literally. It's good. Um, and there's other things the Holy Spirit does. I only have time for three. But this one says this. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit uh, who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So this, this part is like how God reveals. So we, we looked at how he causes us to feel our sonship. We saw how he convicts us of sin and leads us away from sin. And this is really about how he, how he shows us himself in the word. Like he teaches and he illuminates us. This isn't a dead book because it's a spirit's work. And the first thing you got to realize about this though is I want to know more about God. I'm a mere human being. God is infinite. I'm finite. The theological term for that is God is incomprehensible, meaning I cannot take in all that God is, ever, actually. It's like you take a shot glass and you try to scoop up the Pacific Ocean. It's not going to happen, right? Not going to happen. There's no way to do it. I can't take in all that God is. And that's actually good news because you know what eternity is about. It's about scooping up more and more of the goodness and the glory of God and tasting more and more of who he is over and over again, and you don't run out. It isn't like, you know, I've been here for a thousand years, saw God. What else is there to see? 
There, is, there are other things to see, but we're going to see all those things as reflections of God and enjoy the new world, and he is inexhaustible. And so your joy in the new world is actually going to be ever-increasing. Never tapers, never plateaus, ever-increasing, always more to see of God, always more to take in. Okay, so he's, he's incomprehensible. We can't take in all he is. But we do know somebody who knows God, the Holy Spirit, who's God. Okay, look at verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit, who is God, knows the depths of the Father and the Son and of himself. And look at verse 12. He teaches us true things about God. Because though we can't know everything about God, we can know many, many, many true things about God. He's not unknowable. He's incomprehensible. The Holy Spirit makes him knowable. Take a look at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, which is a lot of things, by the way. You're going to spend your whole life in the Word by, by the power of the Spirit, learning more about Him. And so the Spirit makes God's presence known by opening our eyes and minds to what's in the Word. He actually causes us to understand and enjoy the Word, which is a huge advantage that we have after Pentecost. So the disciples, they spend three years with Him, 24-7, and they seem completely ignorant about the cross, even though Jesus talked about it multiple times. They have no idea what's going on, right? And then, and they have no idea what's going on until Jesus ascends, so he ascends, um, and that's 40 days after the resurrection. And then 10 days later, it's like they have a PhD in theology all of a sudden, right? Preaching all these eloquent sermons, know how the Old Testament ties in. They have a complete theology of the cross. Like, what happened? You know, they didn't take a class, right? It was the Holy Spirit opening their eyes and minds to understand all the things about God. And it's amazing, right? You look at that sermon in Acts or Stephen's sermon uh, a little bit later in Acts, and it's incredible. And so the same person, the Holy Spirit, who's God, who inspired the writing of this book, now, when you open it, teaches you the book. Who better to teach you than the one who inspired it? And that's what he does when you open the Word. And guys, I want to make this point because I think it's important, which is he teaches us things that are actually there. Okay, I think this is important because some people have a way of using the Bible where they just kind of open it up, take a phrase, don't look at the context, and say, God said this to me. He speaks to us through the normal rules of interpretation and grammar and context and all those things, right? And if that's something you'd like to grow in, I, I can't highly recommend enough on Desiring God's website, John Piper's Look at the Book. It's kind of the Khan Academy style videos where he, um, he'll have a passage and he'll have a pen and he's circling words and he's listing them and he, he's showing you how those different words connect. And it's a great example of how to study the Bible and how to meditate on the Bible. So if you watch those, I think, or get with somebody that's good at it and just like tear apart a passage and write it out and circle it and look for those connections and, and meditate on it. And as you meditate on the scripture, what happens is the Holy Spirit is teaching you and illuminating your mind to not only understand the word, but to love it and enjoy it and want to obey it. And we call that illumination. He lights us up, right? He lights up our minds. He lights up our understanding as we see him in this book. And guys, that is going to take time. I'm not here to sell you like busy dad's Bible for three minutes a day or anything like that. That's insane, right? All of us, guys, um, let's say you've you got a friend you really want to know better. Or let's say you're, you're married and, and you set up a, a time each week to have a date night. It takes time to know a person. We all know that. We all know that with other people. We all know it takes time. You spend time with them, right? 
weird thing is with God, we think he doesn't take time. I don't know why that would be, because he's infinite and we're finite. It seems like it would take more time. But we need to set aside time, guys, to really dwell with and know this person. And you might say, well, I'm too busy. And I'd say this, maybe you're busy, but most likely you're distracted, not busy. Almost 99.9% of the time. There was a time when Ryan, he was like deployed and all this stuff was going on. I was like, okay, you're legit busy, okay? But almost none of you are in that camp. I'm not in that camp. You know, people are like, oh, you're so busy. I'm not too busy. We're not too busy. We're distracted, very distracted, constantly distracted all the time, right? Um, and I looked at it. Did you see that? I was like, is there anything there? Um, that was really weird. That was like, this is not the time, you know? <laughs> Just to prove the point. I was like, is there any text? Um, maybe we're busy. We're not busy. We're distracted, guys. We're distracted. We're distracted by social media. Most people spend two hours a day on it. Um, you got to justify that. Um, Netflix, sports, shopping sites, okay? You're not buying stuff, but you're constantly looking at stuff, right? That's me. I got girl problems, you know? Like, I'm like <laughs> looking at things to buy and not buying them. Window shopping online. News, things like that, right? If you're, and I would just say this, this to you, if you're too busy to meet with God, you're really too busy. Like, I would do anything I could do to, to change that immediately. Because if you're really actually too busy to meet with God, you are actually missing the reason you were created, which I would say is a major problem. Okay, you're kind of missing the big E on the eye chart, right? You were created to dwell in the presence of God right? You're like, I'm too busy. Then you're too busy. You actually have to change that. You have to do whatever it takes to not be too busy. But most of you aren't. You know, there's times that we can all uh, spend meditating on the Word. And as we meditate on the Word, the cool thing is, is that you're not doing it by yourself. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, and the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and the Son, when you open this Word, it is a real interaction with the living God. His presence is brought, the, uh, the presence of the Father and the Son are brought to bear on you, with you, and you're actually connecting with God. He's really speaking in this text still. He still speaks through this text as he illuminates. You guys all know what that is. You, you're reading through the Word, and all of a sudden a passage hits you, and you go, that wasn't there before. And it certainly was there before. That wasn't there before. I've never seen that before. Wow, that makes all the difference in the world. You call somebody like, hey, you wouldn't believe this passage. And the guy's like, yeah, I've seen that passage. He's like, no, like it's here, and it's amazing, you know? Like feel this with me, right? What is that? That's the Holy Spirit actually communicating to you. That's him illuminating you. That's the presence of God being brought to you. I think you probably want to at least circle that, write it down, maybe journal about it. God spoke to you. Probably should make a record of that, right, for later. Um, spend the time. Read it. Get a journal. Get another journal. Meditate. Chew. Consume. Chew on it. Chew on the Bible. Consume it. Savor it. Mull it over over your spiritual taste buds, right? Get your spiritual saliva in there and then suck the juices out, right? It's here, guys. This is something. This is your food. This is a thing for you to consume. And when the text comes alive, that's a spirit speaking to you. And what do you say? You tell them, thank you. Thank you for talking to me. You talked to me today. This is amazing. I talked to God. God talked to me. So the Holy Spirit, he connects us to the Father and Son and gives us true communion. And you might not always feel it. I would say wait, right? If somebody you really cared about and you were supposed to meet up for dinner and they were five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, they're not there yet, what do you do? You wait, right? You would wait. We should wait. We should wait and we should pray and we should long and we should fast and we should do everything we can to meet with him. 
You guys remember how Moses, he would go into that tent of meeting and everybody's like, he's going in, check it out, you know? Everybody's looking and they're all watching, the cloud comes down. That's you. That's you now because of the Holy Spirit. You can have a tent of meeting. You have a tent of meeting when you have this word. Um, because it's Mother's Day, I have to mention Susanna Wesley. And Susanna Wesley, she had 10 kids. She actually had 19 kids, but only 10 survived. And her, uh, her son was actually John Wesley, you know, great preacher of the 1700s. And um, so she had 10 kids in her home, and, but she still craved the presence of God. And so she had this funny routine she'd do. She'd take her apron, she'd get the dining room table, she'd throw the apron over her head. And that was her tabernacle. That was the tent of meeting. Throws it over. And those kids knew, do not mess with mom when she's in the tent of meeting. And what else did they realize doing that? What do you think John realized as he watched his mother go to the kitchen table and throw and get in the tent of meeting? What did he learn? He didn't get saved for a long time. Actually, it was after he came to America and was preaching like crazy. Later on, he got saved, but it made an impression on him. My mom meets with the living God. Maybe someday I will too. Isn't that amazing? So amazing. Your kids need to see that. Not only do you need that, and you need that. You know you need that. (laughs) But your kids need to see that. They need to know that you do that. And for some of you, it's a literal prayer closet. I have a friend, his mom, they have a prayer closet. It's a closet set up for prayer. Why not? That makes total sense. You're like, oh, we don't need an actual prayer closet. Show me your prayer life, and let's see if you don't need one. You probably do. You probably need a space to do it. Maybe it's in your car, right? Maybe it's in the silence of the morning or the silence of the late night. For me, it's like, it's like earbuds, Gregorian chants on Spotify, my Bible, my zipper hoodie, hood up, and I'm in the tabernacle, and it's awesome. You all have a tent of meeting. You need to use your tent of meeting. We will not be spirit-filled people unless we are regularly meeting with God in this book, right? He has not left you as an orphan. Do not choose to live like one. Don't we choose to live like orphans? He's not left us as orphans. With the Holy Spirit in this book, you have a portable tabernacle. You have a tent of meeting. You can meet with him anytime. And it's in that presence, guys, that we're transformed. Remember when Moses would go and meet with God, what happened to him? His, he was like, you're glowing. It's like, but literally, <laughs> his face would shine, and they were like, we don't like that. It freaks us out. Put something over that, and he put a veil over his head because he would actually be glowing from the presence of God. We have that opportunity now. It says in 2 Corinthians 3 that we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord in here at, and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the, the Lord who is the Spirit. We all, present tense, can behold the glory of the Lord in his temple, in his tabernacle, with this word by the power of the Spirit. Aren't you guys thankful for the Holy Spirit? Aren't you guys thankful you live after Pentecost? I mean, it's just so awesome. He is so good. Guys, I just want to tell you one more time. Don't live in spiritual poverty when you have such access to riches. We're like that, aren't we? We live in spiritual poverty when we have access to riches. Don't quench the Spirit. You know, he will allow you to live in poverty if you choose. But don't choose that. Seek him. Seek his presence. Seek to be filled by him. You have the greatest gift of all. You have the presence of the living God, not just with you, but in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the the beauty of what you've given us in the word. And we're so thankful that it isn't that all we have is the word, but we have your own spirit to dwell within us, to open it up to us, to show us, to teach us. And we thank you too, Lord, that as we meditate on the gospel and think on the gospel, that you give us the feelings that go with being loved by you. Father, for all of your children here, 
You love your kids more than they could ever, 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 ever know. And you make some of that known to us by the Spirit, and we thank you for it. Give us more experiences of that. More experiences where we're not just holding you by the hand, but you're picking us up and showing us your love for us. Father, you love us so much. Your love does not change. We change. We wander. Your love is constant, never-ending torrent directed at us. And Father, we thank you too that you lead and, and convict us. We thank you that you don't let us walk away forever, but that you will hunt us down, hound us. You'll make us miserable in sin, which is such a great ministry. Father, we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that we would learn more and more to discern that conviction from condemnation, Lord, that we wouldn't be taken in by the lies of the devil that tells us to stay away from you and that you're mad at us and you won't have us back and you don't want to deal with us anymore, that you're tired of it, that you just want us to come back when we're serious and we can get our act together. Lord, that is not your heart. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. Make that clear to us. Make that clear to us as we're welcome to your table this morning that all who come through Christ are welcome and loved and that you meet us with a ring, a robe, and a party. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Lord's Supper, we have another opportunity to enjoy and bask in the presence of God because the Holy Spirit actually does something here, too, where he, he, he mediates Christ's presence to us in the Supper. And, and I don't know the whole details of that, but all I know is that Christ is present when we take the Lord's Supper in a unique way, in a way that feeds us and nourishes us, and that's by the Holy Spirit. In, in Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens, listen to this, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's like a mutual enjoyment thing. I'm going to eat with him, he's going to eat with me. And that happens during this time. It happens during this time as we take this bread, it's gluten-free, as we take this bread and we remember the broken body of Jesus, and as we take this cup and we remember his blood and we think about how we have been included, adopted by him through the death of Jesus and how we've received the Spirit through Jesus. And so if you're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and to have the Spirit as a gift to you, then I'd say any time during these next few songs, take it. You can take it by yourself, with a friend, the family. But remember his body and blood and how he loved you. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for the nourishment of your word. We pray, Lord, for the spiritual nourishment you're about to give us in the Lord's Supper. We pray that we would leave as people strengthened, as people confident in your love, as people who go forward as your sons and daughters into the world to represent you, holy, seeking you, listening to you, and enjoying you more and more through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.